Bible's now pleased to uh, Ephesians chapter 6, and this evening we're going to uh, continue our study in these last verses as we're talking about spiritual warfare, and I want to preach part number two of the message that we began last week entitled, The Resume of Our Allies. We do have a part three of the message that we'll uh, talk about next week, but what I've tried to impress upon you in these last few weeks is that we are in the fight of our lives. And we're not fighting against a physical enemy. This is not an enemy that we fight with physical weapons. There's an unseen enemy out there. Uh, He's trying to destroy us. And the enemy has all kinds of things at his disposal, all kinds of help, uh, all the help that he needs to defeat us. And I suppose that if that was all that I told you about it, that we're fighting an unseen enemy, we don't have any physical weapons to fight him with, Um, it's impossible for us to overcome him. If I left you with that thought, that would pretty much put us all in despair, and uh, we wouldn't know what to do. But thank the Lord for this, that though we have an unseen enemy, we also have unseen allies. Now, Satan has plenty of help, but so do we. And uh, by God's grace, and with his help, and with all the assistance that he gives us in so many different ways, we will be the final victors in this battle. Well, Paul doesn't uh, speak in Ephesians about the angelic armies that we're talking about. Uh, Rather, he's talking about the uh, opposition here in in Ephesians chapter 6. But I thought it, of course, would be good for us to consider the nature and and the uh, character of the allies who are fighting with us. And so that's what we're talking about this evening. The opposition against us is described in Ephesians 6, verse number 12. And so we'll read about them, even though we don't have any mention of the allies in this particular scripture. So let's stand, if you would, please. We'll read these same text verses that we've been using for several weeks. And I will warn you, there are several more messages dealing uh, with these few scriptures that we're talking about right now that are coming up in the next few weeks. But beginning in verse number 10... Paul writes, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Heavenly Fathers, we come to you tonight. I ask you, Lord, that you would uh, help me in the message this evening. Uh, May we look into your word and find something about this great host of of angels that are here to aid us. We thank you for that, Lord, and we thank you for the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. Bless in the message, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. In verse number 12, where Paul says, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places, What Paul is speaking there of is the evil angels. All of these demons that we know them as now, Satan's helpers who are fighting against us. And this is a a very formidable force, and it takes an equally formidable force to fight against it. Now, Ephesians tells us about the weapons of warfare that God has given us. And a Christian has to be ready, as Paul states here, to put on the whole armor of God in order to fight our enemy. But as we do, uh, although we do put on this armor of God, we're not alone in the conflict. There is that angelic army that God has provided for us. It's here for our protection. It's there for our support. 
And we've been looking into what the Bible calls the elect angels of God, the good angels of God, and these are the ones that are helping us in this fight. Now, what we began talking about last week was the truth about angels. And uh, it's very important that we understand uh, who the angels really are, what they're able to accomplish, what the Bible has to say about this help that we have. And there is a lot of confusion about angels. Uh, Even though there are over 500 references in the Scripture uh, to angels, there's still a lot of confusion about it. And you would really think that the Bible had nothing at all to say about it. And so people uh, misunderstand about angels. Some people, as we discussed last week, believe that that, uh, angels are dead humans. That when you die, you go to heaven and you become an angel. But angels are not dead humans. Uh, They're a special creation from God and they were created before man. There are some people who think that all of the angels are good. There's nothing but good angels. And of course, uh, we have debunked that myth as we've talked about uh, Satan's allies and understanding that Satan himself was an angel. He's a created angel. Uh, He was created holy, as all the angels were, but then Satan rebelled against God. Through his pride, he was lifted up. He fell, and then in his rebellion, uh, possibly one-third of all the angels fell with him. And all of those fallen angels, the evil angels, are known as demons. So one-third of the angels fell, and if you can do your math, that means that two-thirds of them didn't fall, and the two-thirds that didn't fall are the elect angels of God, and these are the ones that are on our side. We also learned in our lesson last week that angels are innumerable. And by that I mean, I don't really mean that they don't have a finite number because God definitely knows the number of angels that have been created. But the scripture always presents to us that angels are innumerable because the Bible talks about them as being like the stars in the heavens. And so if we were to sit down and try to count the angels one by one, we would stop a long, long time before we ever got to the end of how many angels there are. So the Bible describes them to us, at least, as being innumerable. Then we also learn that angels are invisible. There are times when angels have appeared as men. Uh, That's a rare occasion because they're spirit beings. And in order for them to appear to us, they have to take on some kind of a body that we can see. So it's not common, at least, for angels to take on human bodies. And uh, since they are invisible, we can't see them. And so even uh, perhaps in this room tonight, there may be thousands of angels that are here Um, They very well may be here, but we're not able to see them. So they're God's helpers. The Bible describes them as the saints' ministers. But never in scriptures are we ever told that we're to worship angels. We're never told that we are to pray to angels. And angels are never a mediator between God and man. Now that leads us then to the second area of discussion that we want to talk about tonight. And this evening, uh, I want to uh, speak on the subject of the power of angels. And we, we've already discussed Satan's power, and Satan is, a, is an angel, he's a fallen angel. But the elect angels of God also have a great deal of power, and perhaps uh, there is an angel that has as much power as Satan does. And there's a lot of discussion about that because uh, many people believe that Lucifer was the most powerful angel of all. And I I don't know if that's true because the Bible doesn't specifically tell us. But we do know this, that the elect angels of God are powerful and they have God on their side. And so whether whether they have power or not with God on their side, it really doesn't make any difference because uh, they're more powerful than Satan. 
In the book of Jude, we find a, a very unusual, direct confrontation that took place between two angels. This is in Jude, verse number 9, and this is a, a conflict that's not recorded anywhere else in the Scriptures. And this is a, 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 a conflict that's going on between Satan and Michael the archangel. And Jude writes about this. He says, Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against them a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuked thee. Now, we don't have any idea what, what this dispute was about. They're arguing over the body of Moses. And the Bible says that no one knows where Moses was buried. Uh, God took him and, and God uh, buried him in a, in a valley in Moab. And nobody knows where Moses is buried. And so some people have speculated that what this argument is about is that uh, Satan was trying to find out the location of where the body was, of Moses was. Uh, or if he did know that he was trying to do something with it. And that Moses, or rather the devil, uh, was trying to build a shrine or something on that order uh, to try to entice the children of Israel to come back and worship at the shrine of Moses. And of course, that would make Moses greater than God if they were to worship him. And so for some reason, at least, the Bible says that there was a dispute over the body of Moses. But Jude records it, and he says that Michael would not bring against the devil a railing accusation. And there's some people who look at that, and, and they think that that means, well, well, there's a sign of weakness here. It means that Michael does not have as much power as Satan does, and he's not able to deal with them. Well, one thing we do know for sure is that Michael is an angel who will be the head of all the angelic armies. He's going to fight against Satan. And finally, the Bible tells us that in this warfare between the angels, that Satan will be cast out of the heavenlies. And we read about this in Revelation chapter 12. It says, And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels, and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him." Now, that scripture would lead us to believe that Michael the archangel stands in relation to the elect angels as Satan stands in relation to the evil angels. In other words, Michael the archangel is the, is the leader of all the elect angels, and Satan, of course, is the leader of the evil angels. And so I think that when we look in verse uh, 9 in, in the book of Jude, that that's really not an indication that Michael has any less power than Satan has. But what I think it really refers to is that uh, it was not the time for Michael and Satan to fight. There's coming a time when they will do battle against one another, but that was not the time. And so what Michael did, he deferred to the power of the Lord, and he, and he called on the Lord to rebuke him at the proper time. Now, one thing then that the Scriptures surely do tell us about angels is that angels are inferior to God. Now, there in, in Jude, uh, verse number 9, we saw that Michael deferred to the authority of God when he said, The Lord rebuked thee. But there's also other scriptures that we could go to, and we, we could tell by reading those that angels are not omnipresent like God is. They're not omniscient, although God is. They're not omnipotent, and of course, God is. And I don't really have time to explain this to you tonight, that the reasons why are the logic behind it, but logic does tell us that it would be impossible to have more than one omnipotent being, more than one omniscient being, or more than one omnipresent being. 
If you uh, look at the ancient cultures, those that were polytheistic in nature, there's one thing that they never claimed. They never claimed among all of their gods that they had one God that was totally infallible or one God that was over all the others and exercised all authority or that there was more than one God who could do that. And that's because they very clearly understood the conundrum that you would have if you have equal gods with equal authority. And so logic then would tell us that the angels are, are inferior to God. So they're inferior to God, but also we know this, they are not inferior to man. They're stronger and smarter than men. Now, I want you to take your Bibles, if you would, please, and and turn to the book of Hebrews. And we're going to look at a scripture here that describes the condescension of Christ. And in this scripture, the writer is talking about how Christ came to the earth, and he mentions the angels. And this shows us that the angels are actually now higher than men. In Hebrews chapter 2, if you look at verse number 6, Hebrews 2, verse number 6, But one in a certain place testified, saying, and this is referring to a quotation that comes from Psalm chapter 8. One in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor, and it set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. For it became him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, and bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call him brethren. So what the writer is talking here is about how Jesus in his incarnation, in becoming a man, he had to step down and become lower than the angels. And so in other words, in in taking on a human body, he became like a man, and that put him into a, a subordinate position to the angels. So the clear indication from that would be that, yes, men are inferior to angels. Now, there's another interesting scripture in 2 Peter chapter 2 that appears to allude to the very same thing that Jude was talking about in Jude verse 9. Peter writes, Whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. And what Peter is talking about there is false teachers. And he says that false teachers will do what even angels would not dare to do. And in that verse, he states very clearly that angels are greater in power and in might. Now, here's the thing about it, though. And we've talked about it before. Man has a secondary position to angels now, but it's not always going to be that way. When we receive our glorified bodies, the Lord tells us that we're going to be higher than the angels. And at that time, we will rule over and we will judge the angels. Now, as we talk about the power of angels... Uh, I want to describe to you now what, what is considered to be a division among the angels which appears to, to divide the angels into different ranks. And the different ranks may, may very well uh, tell us that angels are diff- have differences in power. So we're going to talk about the ranks of angels. There's, uh, of course, a difference of opinion about Michael and Lucifer. I mentioned that a moment ago. Uh, are they equal in power? 
Uh, were they once unequal in power? Was one higher than the other? And some do believe that at one time, Lucifer was the most powerful of all the angels. And that's why uh, he was lifted up with pride and why he decided that he wanted to become as God. And so if that's true, it means that at one time that Michael was subject to Lucifer. But the Bible really doesn't tell us very clearly about that. But the Bible does indicate that there are different ranks of angels. Now, in the case of evil angels, the scripture that we read here in our text in Ephesians uh, verse number 12, where it says principalities, powers, uh, rulers of darkness, and so on, uh, most people believe that that is an indication of a division of power within the evil angels, different ranks among them. But as they, all, as they have uh, their ranks, we also believe that the elect angels of God also have different ranks. Now, the first one we want to talk about is the archangel. Uh, Archangel means chief angel, and there's only one angel referred to in Scripture as an archangel, and that's Michael. And we just read about it in Jude, uh, verse number 9, Michael the archangel. But between the period of the Old Testament and the New Testament, you have about 400 years there, and during that time period, there were other books that were written, and uh, they're called the apocryphal books. They're, they're not scripture, but these are books that are written during that intertestament period, and they talk a lot about archangels, and they mention other archangels. And these archangels in these apocryphal books are, are sort of like the heroes of the text in many cases. And so they've named other angels as archangels. They have Michael, they have Gabriel, and they have Raphael and Uriel. Sort of like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or something like that. But uh, that's the names that they've given these angels. But the apocryphal books are not Scripture. They don't have any authority of Scripture, and and we really ought not to believe them as, as, as we do the Bible. But there are some people who do believe that at least Gabriel is an archangel. Now, the other two that we just mentioned, they're not talked about in Scripture. Gabriel, of course, is. And there are many people who do believe that, that Gabriel is an archangel. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, it says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Well, we notice there that Gabriel is not named in that scripture, but there are songwriters who try to put him in that scripture. And uh, there's a song that says, Come on, Gabriel, blow your trumpet. All the dead in Christ shall rise. We're going to a meeting in the skies. And uh, so they say, Gabriel, he's the one that blows this trumpet. Well, as we mentioned in, uh, I think it was last week, the Bible doesn't say anything at all about angels blowing trumpets. And it doesn't say that Gabriel is the one who blows this trumpet. Maybe he is. I don't know. Uh, And in that particular scripture, it doesn't even say that an angel blows the trumpet. Maybe it's a fairly good assumption, but the Bible just doesn't say that. Then some people also believe that it was the uh, angel Gabriel that strengthened the Lord when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, that it was Gabriel who came and rolled the stone away from the garden tomb, that it was Gabriel who came and delivered Peter when he was in prison, took him out of prison. Some think it was Gabriel who told Philip to go down, and you remember that uh, God sent an angel to Philip, and and he was told to go uh, speak to the Ethiopian eunuch who was on his way to Gaza. And so they say, well, that's Gabriel. But really, the scriptures only mention Gabriel in two places. And uh, he's mentioned in the book of Daniel. And then he's mentioned two other places, or two places in scripture. uh, Four places in scripture, I should say. Two are in the book of Daniel, and two are in the New Testament. One is when the angel Gabriel came and spoke to Zacharias. That's John the Baptist's father. 
and then also, of course, spoke to Mary in the announcement of the birth of Jesus. Uh, as far as any t- other times, though, Gabriel is not spoken of in the Scripture, and the angels that are there are, are never named. I do think that it was probably the angel Gabriel who spoke to Joseph in Matthew 1, verse 20. Most likely, it was the same angel that told Mary about Jesus that told Joseph. So that's probably a likelihood. But are there more than one archangel? Is there more than one archangel? I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. But we do know there is at least one, and that's Michael the archangel. And as I mentioned a moment ago, most likely he stands in relation to the elect angels as Satan does to the evil angels. Well, then the Bible also describes another group of angels, and these are called the cherubim. We always think of angels, or the picture that we have in our mind of angels is usually a woman and uh, with, with wings and a white gown and, and so forth, and get this really saintly picture of what an angel looks like. But the Bible describes cherubim quite differently from that. Uh, we won't read it tonight, but you might want to write the scripture down. You can read about it in Ezekiel chapter 1 and in also uh, Ezekiel chapter 10, where it gives a description of the cherubim. And what it says about them is not quite what we would expect. It tells us that uh, a cherubim has four faces. On the front, he has the face of a man. On the right, he has the face of a lion. On the left, the face of an oxen. And a face that actually points backwards, which is the face of an eagle. It also tells us that they don't have two wings, but they have two sets of wings. They actually have four wings. They have two wings that come out from their back and two wings that cover the entire body. They have legs that are like men, but they have feet that are, like, that are cloven like calves' feet. They have four human hands one that are under each of their wings. Now, when I think about that, it seems a little bit scary to me. I mean, it's not the real picture that we get in our mind, uh, uh, you know, the Hollywood version of angels at all. Cherubim are described as being the guardians of the holiness of God. And that's why it was cherubim who were placed at the entrance of the Garden of Eden. They were given flaming swords in order to, to guard the way so that Adam would not go back into the Garden of Eden and eat of the Tree of Life. Uh, cherubim were made, uh, images of them were made uh, to, to be placed upon the Ark of the Covenant, on the mercy seat above the Ark of the Covenant. Now, what these cherubim do is they peer down on the mercy seat, and that mercy seat represents the throne of God. I want you to turn to Exodus now, if you would, please, and we're going to look at Exodus chapter 25. And uh, in Exodus, it gives us the, the blueprint and the instructions for the for the making of the uh, Ark of the Covenant. And it talks about the mercy seat there and about these cherubim. But in Exodus 25, verse number 17, these are the instructions that are given to Moses by God. And thou shalt make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof. And thou shalt make two cherubims of gold. Of beaten work shalt thou make them in the two ends of the mercy seat. And make one cherub on the one end and the other cherub on the other end. Even of the mercy seat shall she make, shall you make the cherubims on the two ends thereof. And the cherubims shall stretch forth their wings on high, covering the mercy seat with their wings. And their faces shall look one to another. Toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubims be. And thou shalt put the mercy seat above the ark. And in the ark thou shalt put the testimony that I shall give thee. And there I will meet with thee, and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat 
from between the two cherubim which are upon the ark of the testimony of all things which I will give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. And we have a, a picture, if, if uh, Corey can show that to us. Uh, up here, we get it up there? Yes, of the, uh, of the cherubim. This is the same picture that we used during the tabernacle study. And um, it really doesn't show us the faces of the cherubim here. They're, they're covered by the wings. But you do notice that they have the two wings that go upward and then another set of wings that's covering uh, the rest of the body. But what these cherubim are doing, they're looking down on the mercy seat. And as I said, the mercy seat represents the throne of God. And the special thing about the mercy seat is this is where the priest came and he brought the, 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 the blood atonement. He brought the sacrifice. He brought the blood of the sacrifice and he sprinkled it on that mercy seat. And of course, that represents the blood of Jesus that, that was shed for our redemption. So these cherubim are looking down on that mercy seat and, and it's, it, it's as if they're interested in what's taking place here. And, and the cherubim really stand in amazement that the Son of God would leave the glory of heaven and he would come and shed his own blood for men. Now, Peter writes about this in 1 Peter chapter 1 as he talks about the attitude of the cherubim. He says, Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which is in them did signify, when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Unto whom it was revealed, that not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. And, and listen to this phrase, which things the angels desire to look into. And so what Peter is writing here is about the interest that the prophets of God had in the past. I mean, they were interested in the relationship between the sufferings of Christ and the glory that would come. But then he adds this, this little piece right on the end of that. He says, which things the angels desire to look into. So the angels wonder about that as well. And folks, I, I just think that this is all inspiring. I mean, to think that these angels guard the holiness of Jesus Christ. Maybe to think about that time when uh, Jesus was about to be arrested by men in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus said, Thinkest thou not that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? And I can imagine in my mind that there are those angels, uh, maybe the same ones that stood at Eden uh, with those flaming swords, that they're standing there just waiting for the Son of God to call. And they have their swords with their, with their hands on the hilt of that sword, ready to draw it to come and defend the Lord. I mean, if he should call upon them, if anyone should, should try to take him before his time came, that those angels were there to respond. And those same angels are the ones that God has given to us to protect us and to watch over us. So they're awesome creatures. They stand to defend Christ and also to us. And that's the, the, the unseen army that's surrounding us. Then there's also another interesting reference to cherubim in Scripture. And um, this is uh, the cherubim that form a chariot of fire on which the Lord rides. In 2 Samuel uh, chapter 22, David sings a song and he talks about this, this cher these cherubim and the, and, the, and the chariot that the Lord rides on. He says, In my distress I called upon the Lord and cried to my God. And he did hear my voice out of his temple, and my cry did enter into his ears. Then the earth shook and trembled. The foundations of heaven moved and shook because he was wroth. 
There went up a smoke out of his nostrils, and fire out of his mouth devoured. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down, and darkness was under his feet. And he rode upon a cherub and did fly, and he was seen upon the wings of the wind. Marvelous, magnificent creatures, and God gives them to fight for us. So we have angels and we have cherubim. Then the Bible also talks about a third uh, group of angels, and these are called the seraphim. Uh, The word seraphim actually means uh, burning ones, and we only have one mention in the scripture of seraphim, and that's found in Isaiah chapter 6. And and these are angels that, that seem to be specially for the purpose of praising God and declaring the holiness of God. In Isaiah 6, verse 3, uh, the seraphim speak. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Then Isaiah describes them in in verse number 2 of that same chapter. He says, Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. So this is a little bit different than the cherubim. Some believe that the seraphim are are the same as the living creatures or the beasts that are spoken of in Revelation chapter 4. So let's go there for just a minute, if you would. Turn to Revelation chapter 4. We get a little bit of a workout here and looking up some scriptures, but this is good for us. And uh, this is John's description as he looks into the throne room of heaven. Revelation chapter 4, beginning with verse number 6. And before the throne... There was a sea of glass like unto crystal, and in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion, and the second beast like a calf, and the third beast had a face as a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever. If you uh, pick up a copy of this, that little commentary that my dad wrote on the book of Revelation, uh, he, he believed that these living creatures were either seraphim or cherubim. Now, they seem to be different from the cherubim because of this description. Uh, they appear in a little bit different form. If you remember, we talked about uh, a minute ago, the cherubim, have each of them have four faces, the man, um, the ox, and the lion, and the, and the eagle. But these particular creatures appear, each one has a different face. Well, one has the face of a man, one has the face of a lion, one has an oxen's face, and one has an eagle's face. And then in addition to that, it tells us here that they were full of eyes, And the purpose, I think, of of him writing that or describing full of eyes is because that speaks of the omniscience of God. But we notice the similarity uh, from Revelation to what Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 6 when he talks about the six wings that they have, but then also the thing that they say, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. So likely, I think those are the seraphim. And once again, The seraphim are given to us to fight against the principalities, powers, and rulers of darkness. Well, we're about ready to end the message tonight, so I want to mention uh, one other group of angels. And this particular one's not quite as clear as these others that we've talked about. But we also have uh, in Scripture the mention of principalities. 
And these appear to be good principalities rather than the bad ones that we read in Ephesians chapter 6. And Paul talks about them in, in uh, chapter 1 of Ephesians in verse number 21. And he talks about thrones and dominions and powers. He says, far above all principalities. Now, he's talking about the exaltation of Christ here. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And so many people believe that principalities, powers, might, dominions, that that's also a classification of angels. And then Paul mentions this also in writing to the Colossians. He says, uh, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And so if he's talking about angels there, uh, one thing that that would tell us is that there are myriads of angels out there. They possibly have all different kinds of powers, different abilities, and all of them are at our disposal to fight against Satan. So we have all of these angels out there, but there's one thing that we never ought to forget about this. All of the angels are under the power and the direction of God. Now these angels... As I said, guard the holiness of God. And so there's one thing that the angels never want. They never ask for anything from man. They never ask for any worship from men. And what these angels do themselves, they worship God and they tell us to do the very same thing. That's who we're to worship, God alone. God dispatches angels and thank the Lord for that, but God's the one that we look to. Next week we're going to come back, we'll we'll conclude our, our lessons about our allies And and we're going to talk particularly about what these angels have been specifically called on to do in their help of the saints. So we'll talk about that next week. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, so much for the time we spent together around your word. We ask you, Lord, that uh, you'd speak to some heart tonight and um, maybe a different message that elicits a response. But, Lord, uh, there are things that we can learn here and surely things that we can rejoice in knowing who is on our side. We thank you for that, Lord. Bless in this time of invitation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.